Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. So we can be chismosas in the best way possible with our what with our wine. And today, because we had our wine tasting the other day, and you're part of the wine tasting, we're both drinking the same wine, <laughs> which like never happens when I'm drinking wine with people. I'm hoping one day I'll be able to like send a bottle of wine to the person that I'm interviewing so we can both drink the same bottle of wine. But for now, you will, you will. Yeah. Eventually that'll happen right now, but we are drinking the same wine today, which is the Say Solis Rosé. So while you're pouring it, cause I already, pour, I just poured mine. Yes. I love that sound. Yes. I like your wine glass too. So Say Solis, and they've sponsored podcasts before. So this is another one they that they've done. They're, they've been so good to us. Chris Rivera, the, the owner, has been so good to the podcast. So this is a medium sweet wine. It's a Grenache and a Muderve. I think that's, I think I got it close. Muderve is what it's called. And it's um, from vineyards grown in Lodi, California. And it's, so I asked Chris this time to provide pairings for the wine. So for this, because the rosé is slightly sweet and it says it aids in tempering spicy dishes, mild chili prawn or chili prawn linguine, mild to moderately spicy beef or pork pad thai, and fish tacos with mango habanero salsa. Those are the things that he suggested. Nice. <laughs> so obviously it doesn't have to be that, but those are like anything within that, you know, anything that's on the spicier side, because then this helps with that. And the seafood. So the yeah, seafood. we did seafood. So I did the white wine, his white blend. And I made, I had a, I made some blackened shrimp. And then I had um, a Caesar salad. So I had a blackened shrimp Caesar salad with mine. Girl, you know, I get fans. That's literally been the one thing that has been, like I've been crazy, like during during COVID, during this time of COVID, legit, I have been having so much blackened shrimp Caesar salad. I don't know why. I don't know why, but that's been my palate on my palate a lot lately. It's like your new favorite then. Yes. Yes. But I'm going to go with it. Like I'm okay with that. So girl, let's just jump in to the chisme because, you know, I feel like we're going to be able to talk about a bunch of things because we've gotten to know each other over this last 10 months. We met through, we all grow amigas. And now I can sit, now we're like really, I consider you a friend. Totally. (laughs) And it's so crazy. I did my 2020 recap um, for episode 49. It was my 2020 recap. And one of the things that I said in there was 
I don't know what my mindset would have been had I not had we all grow like the Amigas group because I'm so extroverted. I'm I'm just so extra. Let's just, I mean, I'm just so extra <laughs> in a lot of things. And w- some of the best things that have come out of that have been friendships and I've been able to form. And we haven't even met yet. But actually, by the time this comes out, we will have met. <laughs> All right. <laughs> by the time, because it's crazy. You've lived in the same city as my parents. And I had no idea this entire time. For some reason, I thought you were in Huntington Beach or something like that. And when you participated in the wine tastings and put your address in, I was like, wait a second. There, She's in the same town as my parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Hey, by the way, cheers. Salud. 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 Like, I need a drink. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, it's so good. You know what I found? And just, you know, one of our, another friend that we have, Giselle, with the rosé, because it is a little bit sweeter than I normally like it. For me, I have found that if it's a little, if it's not super cold, I actually like it better. Like the taste changes. But the other thing that I've realized, and obviously because I drink wine every single interview, sometimes <laughs> multiple times a week, depending Lucky. on the interviews I have. <laughs> Girl, it's a hard job. I mean, I I'm know. telling you, it's extremely <laughs> difficult. <laughs> but, you know, because I got a wine refrigerator, because I couldn't, I was, it was taking up so much space on my counter. I didn't know where to put it. I was putting it, you know, that space that you have above your refrigerator, that counter space. That's like literally where I was putting the wine. Then I was finding my refrigerator is so cold that it, I just felt like it was, the wine was so cold. The wine that should have been cold was like super cold. But I found one, a wine refrigerator, you can adjust the temperature, but two, so you can put white and red in there and then adjust it accordingly. Because by the time a red sits, you let it aerate and everything, it gets to the temperature it needs to be anyways. But also you don't have the condensation that you have in a normal refrigerator because it's so cold. I don't get that condensation in the wine refrigerator. So it's legit made my wine life so much better. <laughs> You're so fancy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would, you know, people probably think that I'm fancy, but I am so not. <laughs> I, I, like to, I like to pretend that I am, you know, me in this wine life. That's what I'm calling it my wine life. I mean, I'm in like my apartment is less than 600 square feet. <laughs> Nobody knows that. <laughs> they do now. Now they do. <laughs> so that's how fancy I am. <laughs> but I'm so excited to have you here because there's so much to be able to like chat about. And I feel like we're just going to have a good time talking because we're going to be drinking and we get to share. And I've gotten to know you over the last you know, 10 months, but originally you are not from California. You no. are, you're Tejana. You're I am a Tejana, born and raised. Yes. So, yeah. So I moved out here in 2003 because el amor. I fell oh, yeah. love. I said, I'm never, <laughs> never moving to California. Uh, because well, wait, there's earthquakes. Okay. Uh, so before you even met your husband, you had already decided that you were never going to move to California? Exactly. Yeah. Girl, look at you now. 
I know. That's what I'm saying. Never say never. Cause that's what I said. I'm like, I'm never, I'm like, cause people in California are crazy. How can they live there? There's earthquakes. There's no warning. The earth splits and there you go. Right. Like that's, that's an outside, you know, outsider, you know, perspective. Right. So how many earthquakes have you felt since you lived here? Um, one really big one. And I was actually working, I was in an office and that totally freaked me out. That must've been maybe three years after I had moved in or something like that. I don't remember, but that I like ran out the building and they were all mad at me. And I'm like, you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) I'm like, I didn't know that. I'm like, I don't want this, you know, four story building to crush me. I rather take my chances and like exit. And they're like, no, you're supposed to like hide under a desk and da, da, da. I'm like, but you realize there's three stories above us. We are on the first floor. And they're like, well, yeah, but if you run the shattered glass and I'm like, well, I'll take my risk. Oh my <laughs> I'll God. I'll take my chances. So when I moved to Texas, I've, yeah, I've had, I mean, growing up in California, obviously I felt some major earthquakes, not that, that many, a few, and half of the time they happen when you're sleeping. So when people be like, are you scared? I'm like, man, half the time people be like, did you feel the earthquake? And I was like, no, <laughs> it was, I was asleep or, and they happen in the middle of the night. So oftentimes you don't feel them. But when I moved to Texas, I was scared out of my mind. The first time I heard the tornado sirens, uh, it freaked me out because then people are like, you need to grab a mattress. And I'm like, I ha- my mattress is too heavy for me as one person to take into the bathtub and put over me. And then what happens if nothing happens, then I have to remove it. Like, what What are you talking about? And then they're like, oh, well, then you need to get into the lowest bottom interior. Da-da. And I was just like, so I kind of feel the same that you did with with earthquake, because I'm like, well, if a hurricane, I mean, if a tornado is going to tear this apart, it's still going to tear the, the whole thing apart, regardless if I'm in a right. stairwell or not. But I think it's that sound that like freaks you out. Everybody that I know from California is way more free. I think it just depends on where you grew up, right? Whatever yeah. it is. But tell me about your like growing up in because it's in the San Antonio area where you grew up, right? So south. So on the border. In Eagle Pass. So it's a border town. Oh, okay. So it's two and a half hours south of San Antonio. And um it's it's I call it, you know, my little town. You blink and you pass it. But I mean it's definitely grown. We have there's now two international bridges. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> there's a lot is of it, stuff going is through. Is Eagle there. Pass considered the valley down there? My dad's from Brownsville. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, this is further up. So okay. this is between Laredo and Del Rio. So it's further up okay. on the border, but still on the border. Um, it's not close to El Paso. I mean, that's for, I mean, we're further south. So anyway, so well, in people between. forget that like Texas has that kind of arc thing. So mm-hmm. El, El Paso is very much kind of, even though it's a border town, it's not south. And then, you know, you have brownsville which is very very far south that's valley yeah yeah that's like the tippy tippy end of of texas so you're kind of in the middle of it Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so i I was actually born in brownsville and then my parents moved to eagle pass because my dad's family is from piedras negras which is right across the border and so okay anyway so whatever their reason was, that's, that's where they moved. That's where I was raised. And, uh, that's, you know, been all my life and, you know, pretty much 99% of the community is all 
Mexicanos. And um, so that's all I really knew. There's, you know, very few of other, you know, ethnic backgrounds. So I really didn't have a lot of exposure until I moved to college. I'm like, whoa, like I met people from Puerto Rico and El Salvador. And like, it was just so cool, like learning of, wow, there's, you know, all these beautiful like Latinos, right, from all over that I'd heard of, but I've never like met in person and, you know, mm-hmm. trying new foods and the music and like everything was just super cool. A big culture, well, I wanna, like it, yeah, different. I don't want to jump ahead too, too much. But when you were growing up in that area, being like mostly Mexicanos, what did you feel like your, like, what was your parents what did they instill in you and your siblings in regards to what they wanted you to be versus you, what you wanted to be? Like, how much did that affect you? Um, well, definitely, uh, you know, the language we were so, you well, I mean, growing up first, you first, we first learned Spanish. So Espanol para todo, right? But so my dad knows English, but not is not comfortable speaking in English. And so he always told us, you either speak in English or in Spanish, but no, you know, mix match, you know, no Tex-Mex. That's what we would call it, right? Or Spanglish, right? Same thing. And uh, so he'd get mad at us. And and actually I, I thank them, you know, for doing that because it really helped me to learn Spanish properly, but still, you know. And so that was one of the main things, like to be proud of our culture, our heritage, our language, which is really important because no one can take that away from them. And then like learning how, you know, like when my mom was growing up, because she was raised, I mean, she's from um, Monterrey area in Mexico, but she grew up in Brownsville. And so, you know, there it's like, well, you can't speak Spanish, you know, and, you know, facing those things. Right. So it's like my parents definitely instilled, you're going to learn both. And you're going to be well educated. And so education was really important. It was really important for them uh, to make sure that I went to college and that that opportunity was available. And I did. And I graduated. So <laughs> check that off and um, be bilingual, you know, be a good person, you know, you know, helping others and those things really, you know, but really to and mainly my mom was huge in making sure that I did go to college because she went to college. And so it was like. There's so much more for you to learn and to see and experience. You cannot stay in this little town. Like she's like, you're going to go. And I, and I did want to go because my town, it was so tiny. I mean, career opportunities were very limited. I mean, just your future was very limited to whatever was in this little town. And it, it just wasn't for me. Like I needed to get out and I knew that already. And I'm so glad that my parents were very supportive. I mean, especially my mom, you know, and then being, a, you know, a woman, it's like, Yes, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be hard probably, but you need to get out and experience the world, right? And you need to go to college outside. I mean, we did have, you know, the the college, um, what is it, the, the junior college classes and, you know, stuff like that. But she's like, no, you need to get out and go to the university. So that was definitely- Is it one of those towns? Because I feel like I grew up in a town, it's not super small, it's a suburb of San Diego, plus it's a suburb of a larger city where- but I still feel like that town that I grew up in is one of those towns where you will people where people either leave or they stay forever. Is that kind of how Eco exactly. is? Yeah, that's what it is. And if you stay there and you you're, you don't leave when it's time to go to college, yeah, you're going to stay there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have friends who did leave and they're like, we're out of here. Like, let's go. <laughs> Um, and then there's still several that stayed and they're still there. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what they chose. And all right. And and there's some that did go back and, you know, they have their professional careers and and that's what they wanted. 
and I respect their decision, but it was not for me. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going back. <laughs> so when it's it was time limited. for yeah, when it was time for you to go to college, where did you end up going? So I went to Southwest Texas State University, which is now Texas State, which is between Austin, San Marcos, right? Capital in San Marcos, Marcos, which is between Austin and San Antonio. So it was awesome because it's like, yeah, I can go party to both cities. It was freaking <laughs> awesome. I had friends in both universities or universities at UT and then uh, friends at UTSA and St. Mary's and, you know, friends, I mean, everywhere. So it's like, yeah, where are we going this weekend? <laughs> that, you know, it's so funny as I have friends that went to all the schools, all those different schools that you mentioned. And I have friends that went to all of them. But you were talking about how when you went there, when you went to college, you're like, oh, there's more than Mexicanos. Oh yes. my gosh. So tell me about that experience. Like what was when you, because I heard that so much in regards to people's culture shock when they go to college, that they're just like, oh my gosh, this world, I've never seen anything like this. So tell me about that experience for you. Well, definitely a lot of white people that I was not used to. Cause I mean, growing <laughs> up, it was like 99% Mexicanos, you know? So it was like really different, but you know, really cool at the same time to experience that. And then also, you know, I, what I identified as, as well, because I identified as, you know, Mexican American, but now like <clears throat> now having gone through college and you know, having met all these beautiful friends from so many different countries that were Latin American countries that I didn't want to exclude them whenever I said I was Mexicana, you know, so then I said, well, I'm Latina that because I know and I just felt it intuitively that I know I'm not just Mexican. I'm pretty sure I have some other blood in me because no one can ever identify like where I'm from. I mean, they always like, oh, are you from El Salvador or, you know, from, you know, like Egypt or Persian, I mean, or, you know, everything but Mexicana. No one ever guesses Mexicana. And I'm like, really? I do too. But I get that. Like usually more than anything, people think I'm Puerto Rican. They're like, oh, you're from Puerto Rico. And I'm like, no, it's the curls girl. Yeah. (laughs) It's the curls and the big booty. I think that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think for me too, it's like the curls. I mean, yeah, really growing up, I don't think there was anybody with this much curly hair. I mean, they had waves or some sort of curl, but not this much curl. And so I figured, okay, there's got to be some other blood in me, you know, yeah. wave, have you, you know, generation like, back. Have you done like your 23 or me or anything like that? I did. And yeah, there's, there's some other, I mean, the majority, it, it says a uh, Native American, which is, you know, within the U.S. and Mexico and, mm-hmm. you know, South. So, but I want to do the other one, the... I don't know, the other DNA, the The ancestry. Yeah. The ancestry one. I have it. I just haven't done it. So I I want to get that one too, because I've done the 23 and me and my majority, like I'm a total mutt, obviously, like most of us are the one cent, the, the biggest single thing is native American through United States and Mexico. And then I'm actually 10% North African. Nice. Me too. Yeah. And yeah. And I was actually surprised of how much it was, but I wasn't also surprised. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know it's like, what? So when I tell my friends, they're like, oh yeah, we knew, we knew you, you have something, <laughs> but, and then it's a lot of like, I think it was like, like 51 or 52%, all these Eurocentric, like all this mixture of Euro stuff, which obviously look, yeah. Like all of the colonization and everything. Oh my gosh, girl. I know I just pulled mine up. So mine's like 52.2 East Asian Native American, 
37.5 European, and then 6.9% Sub-Saharan African, 1.3 Trace Ancestry, 2.1 Unassigned. Whatever that is. They're just like, we don't know. So like, know. okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I knew I had some other stuff. I mean, no, I think that's so awesome that we have these things that are allowing us to figure out like more of, of who we are because for so long, other people have defined it. Like we, yes, try define ourselves to an extent, but also because of where we live, like so many people have defined us for us and how we should label ourselves that it's wonderful to have these tools to say, you know what, I'm a little bit of everything. Like I'm Mm -hmm. a mixture. I don't need to conform to one specific thing because our cultures are mixtures of things as well, of things that have that have been native to our people, but as well as things that have been brought in by colonizers. And I think that we, and it's been a mesh of, of both. So Unfortunately, you can't just say, no, no, we're not going to do any of this. We just have to embrace what speaks to us, right? right. More than anything. Yeah. Like for the census, um, you know, for this year, I, I put white and Native American because there's no Latina, Latino, Mexican, like it doesn't show up, right? It's like, well, what do I put? I'm like, well, I ha-, and it says Native American, I'm like checking that off. <laughs> yeah. And I put that for my kids too. Oh, for sure. I will be in the future because like I said, my most singular thing was Native American. And then it's like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not surprised how Eurocentric it was because biologically on my dad's side, he's Italian, but I was still disappointed when I saw like 51%. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) is that horrible? Crazy. Whatever, whatever. (laughs) So what did you end up majoring in, in college? And like, were, did you, were you somebody who got involved in like sororities or anything like that? Cause I know that there, there's some Latina sororities now um, in that area Were was that your experience or was it just completely outside of that? Um, I had thought about it, but none really just called my attention. And so, and there was actually one that formed when I was there. I don't remember the name, but um Anyways, no, I ended up being part of the Hispanic Business Student Association and I and I w- was a business major. I mean, I did graduate with a business management degree and um, I probably should have just done double with marketing because I was taking all those classes, but I'm like, I'm done. I need to graduate. I need to come out. <laughs> but no, so I was super involved with that. I, you know, I was pretty much in leadership position in, in that organization and, and then president was the last thing that I did and it was pretty awesome, like a really incredible experience. So, so yeah, I was always into, you know, leadership and I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, even though my dad always said, well, you should be like your mom. You should be a teacher. I'm like, I don't have the patience for kids. I'm like, maybe probably eventually when I have my own, but I don't know if I can handle like a classroom of kids and (laughs) that's probably too much. And like, I adore that in my mom, the patience that she has, but yeah, I don't think I have that patience. Girl, and, and, you I know, so, you. but I knew I, I had, you know, this entrepreneur spirit in me and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and, but I wanted to travel. And so, you know, just try different things, but, but yeah, the entrepreneurship has always been in me and in my blood. So 
I feel that with the whole teacher thing, because people always tell me, oh, you're so good with kids. Why don't, and I'm like, I want to still love kids. That's why I don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I love kids. I have a bleeding heart. And then I wouldn't be like, I would. Yeah. I mean, I know when to be firm. I'm Thea, like being Thea Jane. My mom had a, uh, uh, call it a daycare growing up. I've always been around kids. So I know like the balance of having to have that, but and I worked in nonprofit with youth when youth development. So I had all these kids, but, you know, I didn't have them all day long at school. I had them and I wasn't like the main person. Yeah. Like two hours and then bye. See yeah. You two, three like hours. I could work. I could work with kids and, and I have I've been, you know, done, you know, different programs with kids, but not like the whole day. Yes. I don't think I have that patience. I mean, I have the patience for a couple hours. <laughs> exactly. But, and then it takes an even more special person to be a middle school teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because middle school kids are terrors, like terrors, because they're in this, in between this adolescence weird thing and they're just mean. And then you have weird smells because they're trying to figure <laughs> out their stuff. It's not cute. <laughs> it's not cute. So when you graduated college, what was your transition? Like you knew you didn't want to go back to Eagle Pass. So where did you stay or where no, did you I go? went, I went to go live in San Antonio and that's where a lot of my friends were at. And I ended up finding a job like right as soon as I, I think, be, yeah, before I even graduated, I worked for a, a travel company and it was a high school grad trip. So I would sell the trip, the the high school summer trip, you know, the, the big high school trip, that's what I would sell to Cancun and to Puerto Vallarta and to Jamaica. And so then during the summer, I would go to Cancun or Puerto Vallarta, but I mainly stayed in Puerto Vallarta for the whole summer. And I would be the hotel, you know, liaison representative for the company, you know, Must to work with both, hard. you know, the hotel and I'm like, this so is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me, come on, that that's like a hard job. Yes. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Cool. Sounds so hard. Sounds so hard. <laughs> I know to work in Puerto Vallarta for the summer. <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> pretty rad experience, but so yeah, I did that. And then after a while, I just got tired of it because it's like, man, these high school students, like it was just so hard to like round them up. And, you know, I don't know. I was just like, okay, I'm done. I'm over it. And then I ended up working for a flight simulator company or yeah, business. And then during that time is when I met my husband. Okay. How did you guys meet? Because I just know, because we were on this wine tasting <laughs> and we were joking, right? Because Everybody is joking about me and the guy leading the wine tasting thing. And, <laughs> and I, I don't want to say anything other than the fact that I will tell you stuff offline, nothing <laughs> salacious, nothing, but you guys are just so off base in regards to all of that. But how did you guys actually meet? Because he lived in California and you lived in San Antonio. Yes. And so... I actually, you know, I had been working, you know, for this flight simulator company and I, I love to dance like dancing. It's like, yes, it's my stress reliever. It's my go-to. It revives me like it's la vida, right? And so, and I loved going out dancing to the clubs and it's just like dance my heart out until they kick me out and I don't have to drink. I mean, I'll drink. Right. But like, it was the music and yeah. the way it made me feel, right? It's like, yeah, I got you, girl. You know, just yes. let go and just let the beat take over, right? Like, that's me. So I love to dance. And so then I'm like in this, you know, 
corporate job type of, you know, job. And in the weekends, you know, I still go out partying, whatever, but I go out dancing. That was my thing. And I'm like, I want to like work in one of these clubs. Like I just, it was like one of those bucket list types of things. Right. But I, well, I could be a bartender, but then I have to go to school and take all these classes. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And then, um, and I just happened to find an ad in the paper that said, um, beer tub girl and the river walk. And I'm like, what? At polyesters. I'm like, I was going to say polyesters. I've been to polyesters. (laughs) And I'm like, yes. I'm like, I could totally open beer bottles and make tips and then dance the whole night while I'm there. I'm like, Heck yeah. I'm imagining polyesters right now because <laughs> I've been I there. I loved it because it was, it was three floors of different, you know, music and I loved it. So I'm like, sign me up. So I went in and all confident. I'm like, all right, when do I start? And they're like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> they gave me job. And so, yeah, I ended up working there for, I believe like a month or two, like not very long because it was freaking exhausting. I mean, you have to, stay there till like two, three in the morning. And I mean, and I still had to like work on Monday. So I only did Friday and Saturday, but anyway, so I only did it for like two months because it's freaking exhausting. But so during that time, so my husband, well, back then, right. He, for his job. And so anyways, I'm, all I'm going to say is he works for the County. Cause that's all I can say. Yeah. Every year he, um, they would take, uh, there was a conference every year. And so it happened to be somewhere different in the US. So that year it happened to be in San Antonio. And I get, and then they, of course, it's on the Riverwalk because all conferences are on the Riverwalk, right? Yeah. And so he happened to be there. I was working on the 70s floor. It was my favorite floor. I just loved the 70s, right? And I just remember, and you know, of course I would get hit on all the time. Like, Hey girl, da, da. I'm like, whatever. Right. But he walks in and I'm like, Oh my God, he's not from here. <laughs> Who's this? And he was so quiet, but he had like the most amazing smile. And I'm like, I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm like, I want him to talk to me. And he would not talk to me. Like he would buy beer, but he would never say anything. Cause he, I mean, he was shy, right? He was quiet. And finally he like started talking and he, he asked me like, what was my name or something, whatever the conversation was. Right. And so he happened to tell me where he was staying and whatever. And so anyway, so, I mean, we just made that connection. Right. And so we ended up connecting and we like the next day we ended up going to Mi Tierra and stayed up, you know, talking till 7am, like after I got out of work on Saturday and we were just talking, 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 talking. And it was just so like refreshing not to be like, interviewed, you know, like, so do you have a boyfriend and da, 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 you know, the yeah. typical, like, you know, questions. And I'm like, uh, and he, he was not like that at all. So of course I was in awe and he was telling me about his family from Presidio and, you know, and he's, you know, looking up history and tell me all these beautiful stories about from five generations back and the whole, I mean, just everything. Right. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Right. And we just stayed connected and we ended up, you know, at that time we had the, you know, we would chat, we had AOL and we would chat. I'm like, no, I'm dating oh my myself gosh. now. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just funny. Cause I've been seeing these memes lately saying, do you remember one day we just, we logged off AIM and we never logged back in. And I was like, yes, yes. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Once so I got cool. married, I never went back to <laughs> AIM. <laughs> 
Okay. But how did you work that out? Because I'm always somebody, okay. And I know we said, we talked about this the other night in regards to like long distance, some people it can work out for, obviously it was wonderful for you and your husband. How did you guys work that out? And when did you realize that you would be willing to move for him? Because I think that's something that a lot of people, like they don't know, like, am I willing to move? And especially now, because people are waiting longer and longer to get married. I feel like we put a lot more obstacles in our own way when it comes to that stuff. So how did, what was your experience? Like, how did you navigate that? So we would travel once a month, either I would go over there for the weekend or he'd fly over here. And of course, you know, holiday weekends, we would just, you know, stay a few extra days longer or whatever, but definitely a lot of long phone calls. We always had a lot to say and, uh, you know, just learning more about each other and, you know, everything, right. Our views and everything. And so it was big phone bills, (laughs) but yeah, we would travel. We would travel once a month and that way we could, you know, get to know each other better and whatever. And um, so that was definitely really, very helpful. And at the beginning, I said, well, don't go, you know, like falling in love with me because I'm not going to marry you. I don't know, something like silly like that. I said to him, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I feel like that's the that's like the beginning of every rom-com romance. Don't fall in love with me. And then you're just <laughs> Like, right? I mean, how many times have you yes, seen? Yes. And so, yeah, like one of those, one of those trips, like um, we met up in Vegas and we would meet somewhere different. Sometimes we met up in Vegas. We ended up meeting in, in Sacramento one time. We met up in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. That was pretty fun. And uh, so, yeah, we would just meet, you know, in different places. And uh, but even so in the Vegas trip, it was so funny because my my cousin said, like oh you're gonna marry him and I'm like shut up like what are you saying I'm like he's just cute like I I just like enjoying him and he's like yeah yeah whatever and and it was the beginning of our yeah and it was the beginning of the relationship like I had just met him you know like a few months prior so it's like what are you saying like come on right but I mean it, it did take some time because it was like me trying to be okay with leaving. And I totally get that, like not leaving. Cause yeah, it was super comfortable. I loved where I lived, you know, it, there's so much around me, you know, when the city, my family, my, my best friends that I've known since elementary school. So, you know, these super strong bonds that I had, right. And that was super important for me. So yeah, it did take some time, but you know, all this traveling back and forth and definitely the long distance and really getting to know each other. Finally, like, and it was so funny that I would, because it was like long conversations, right? That at one point I remember thinking, saying, I love you. Like I would, like I was, I would always tell my parents, okay, love you. Good night. Right. And, and I would always try to like, make sure I didn't say it because we were not at that point yet. Yeah. But I already, I wanted to, right. So, I mean, we finally eventually did, of course, but, but it was like, cool. Like once we did, it's like, no, this really is real. Like we could totally make this work. And then, you know, my parents met him and everything. He even, oh my goodness. He even asked, he called my parents to ask for my hand when he proposed, like, the night or a couple nights before he proposed. And it was one of those weekends that I traveled to California and my dad is terrible at keeping secrets, first of all. And so when he called and I, every time I would travel, I'd always call my parents either that day or the night before. And my dad's like, 
ok, este, bueno, que te vaya bien y te peinas. And I'm like, what? <laughs> It's like so weird, like, like for you to brush your hair. And I'm like, ok, like I'm not going to go, you know, folonga, chonguda, you know, like crazy hair. Of course, like of course. So for people that don't speak Spanish, her dad yeah. is telling her basically to be presentable. To be presentable, <laughs> right? And But my dad always says like silly things like that, right? And um. But anyway, so it ended up being that that weekend he proposed and I said yes. And so then I called my parents that that night and they're like, yay, we, we knew and da, da, da. And they're like, <laughs> he called. I'm like, what? He did? And I've always wanted that. And I never told anybody. I never told my mom. I never told my best friend. Like I never told anybody yeah. that that's something that I wanted just that's to just keep a, like some tradition. Like, that's a whole level of just respecting because I want that too, right? I want somebody if they proposed to me, I want them to have already asked my parent, right? Because I, the, I'm the same way. I don't know. There's just something about that, right? That you respect my family and you respect my parents enough to say like, I want to be part of your family. Yeah, so, yep. And there's just something I, so I completely agree with you on that. So if anybody's listening and you want to propose to me, just know that. <laughs> <laughs> Her parents live close to me, so you can even I can even show you where they are. Yeah. <laughs> Just reach out Take to you in person. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's awesome. But yeah, I mean that was definitely important for me, and I was blown away. And I'm like, wow, yeah, he's totally the one. You know, it was just like all these little things, and um, so that's what we did. So, how was the transition from Texas to California when you guys when you moved? Because you, like you said, you were in this comfortable place. You were already kind of, I guess, in your mind, probably imagining like as things, time goes by, can I move from here? Can I leave this place? So what was it where obviously when you're getting engaged and, and you know, you're gonna, you're like, yeah, it's going to happen. I'm going to move. But how was that transition? At the time I felt like it was, it was easy. I mean, I had the support from my parents and that definitely helped that they were supportive and my friends were supportive of my move and And his parents, his siblings, I mean, they're all amazing, very loving family. So it was easy for me to transition from one loving, you know, close family to another loving, close family. Right. And they're super fun. So it was an easy transition right there. Right. And so that was definitely very helpful because not everybody gets that right. And so yeah. that was easy. At the time, I didn't realize that it was super stressful on my body to have this big transition. Um, But yeah, beneath it, it was definitely stressful. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, one of the things there's kind of this is like one thing going into the other, going into the other. I did not know this until I read your bio, which I got like five minutes before we started. <laughs> Busy mama over here. <laughs> But yeah, you have three kids now. Like you guys have been married over how long have you been married now? Oh my gosh. So it'll be 18 years if Ooh, I'm doing girl. the math correctly. Girl, yes, I'm going to be though. This is 2003. <laughs> just seems like forever. But it's good, right? It's good. Yeah. I just I'm terrible at math right now. Yes. He seems very, very nice. Um, but you have vitiligo. Yes. And my tia, my tia Maggie have vitiligo. And if people don't know what vitiligo is, it's a skin condition where you start having like white patches and like, you're not getting as much pigmentation in certain parts of the skin. So yeah, it's a autoimmune Jackson deficiency. Had vitiligo. 
my, my, like I said, my theater. So I've grown up with somebody that has been, I literally did not know that until I read your bio. Yeah. And so that's, that's actually part of where that started. So before I got married, you know, and it's probably when I was dating him that I decided I'm doing the laser hair removal. Cause I'd hear the ads all the time on the radio. And I'm like, you know, because I'm vain, super vanidosa, I'm like, I'm done shaving. I'm like, for, come on, I have the yeah. money. I'm going to go do it. Right. And so laser is a different type of stress on your body, which I did not realize. And when I moved to California, I continued and it was a different type of laser. It felt more, instead of more heat, it felt more like rubber bands going like on your body. So on my underarms and they did disclose that it for on darker toned people, there's a small chance that your skin color could change. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, right? Let, let's just get on. Let's right. move forward, right? I, I want this done. <laughs> and um, so then once it started happening about a year, no, less than a year later, my, my underarm started turning white. Then I went to the dermatologist and they said, everybody has the vitiligo gene and it's activated by high stress. So you didn't even know that you, like, I had no idea about that. So yeah, everybody has it. And I have ants um, that have it. They're, they're not close. Um, they're, they're further removed, but I have ants that also have vitiligo. <clears throat> and my mom was telling me that it activated when their parents divorced. That's a form of high stress. And yeah, I'm like, wow. I don't even know when, like my, my tia has since passed, but I know as she got older, it got worse. So like her legs were completely like pale white. And then she used to have patches on her arm. And then as she got older, they, it started spreading where, where it was mostly becoming more, more white, you know, more pale. And so the vitiligo is activated by high stress. So once, um, once I realized that and my body really started changing colors, I mean, my elbows were white. They're no longer, they're back to normal. My knees, I had patches on my face. I had to wear more makeup, like thick, like derma blend, like cover tattoo type of makeup, right? Because I hated it. I hated the way I looked. I mean, I just felt not in my body. And it was just like so much, so many negative thoughts going through my mind daily that that added more stress to my body. And so and then five years later, I became mom. So that's a whole other type of stress, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, you know, your body's definitely changing. It's no longer, you know, what you used to look like. Right. And so once I, and of course I would pray like, but then it would be the prayer, like, why me? Why me? God, like, I don't deserve this. I look terrible. Like, and it was, it was like a depression, right? On the outside, I looked fine. I was happy. I was super mom. You know, I was doing everything good, but inside, I was hurting. I was dying. I was depressed. I was mad. I was angry. Everything, right? Everything negative that you can think of, that was me. So that definitely added to the stress. And that's why it spread a lot quicker because I was not taking care of my body. Once I changed my mindset and said, oh, I get it. Okay, God, what is the lesson? This has to be a blessing in disguise. I don't get it, but I'm sure there's something I need to learn from this. And I don't know where I got that from, or maybe, or maybe I finally listened, (laughs) you know, to God talking to me and it just, everything changed from there. And that really, like I started paying, I mean, I've always 
grown up with everything natural, you know, going the natural route for, you know, alternative healing, like, you know, teas, masajito, you know, massage for this and, you know, reflexology and everything trying to avoid over-the-counter medication as possible. I'm just, you know, did not grow up with that and not a big fan. And of course, when I need it, I I do take a medication, right? Um, As a last resort. But once I changed my mindset, my skin color started coming back. And I realized that, you know, all this stress, I let go, I surrendered. And I'm like, all right, if this is what I'm going to look like, fine, I get it. Then I'm just going to go with it. Right. And then my skin color started coming back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what is happening? Like, this is so cool. I mean, it took a while to finally realize it, but it was a lot of that. I definitely incorporated meditation into my lifestyle and meditation came into my life because I was so exhausted. I was so tired. You know, the three kids, you know, one, my first two are two years apart. And then the next one is three years apart. So girl, I was sleep deprived. Girl, no, that sounds like a lot because now obviously like you have a podcast, uh, Decide Balance and it's a meditation. I actually did it this morning. Nice. Thank you. Because I try and start my day by writing my affirmations, doing, even if it's five minutes, sometimes it's longer, but one thing that I really like, um, it's Decide Balance podcast and it is a bilingual podcast. So when I first heard it. I I wasn't sure like if it was five minutes English and then five minutes Spanish. No, it's literally you speaking English and Spanish at the same time. Like you're translating. My name is Ivan. So Ivan, like you're literally like really translating it as you are going through. So it's just five minutes. Your voice is so soothing, girl. It is like you, you have the perfect voice for this meditation podcast, but before you podcast, you really started it because of your kids, right? Like, tell me how that even started. So yeah, my, so at the time my son was in third grade, he's now in sixth grade. And at the time the school was going through a construction phase and it just so happened that the third grade classrooms were being moved to bungalows. And so they were used to, you know, this big mansion type of classroom to a closet. And so it was really affecting all the kids. And I really saw it in my son. And I reached out to a friend and I said, Hey, you know, she, you know, does NLP neural linguistic programming. I said, what is something that I can do? You know, what, you know, advice, or do you have any like scripts on meditations or anything? She's like, no girl, you just guide them, take them to the beach, you know, just five minutes, you know, like make it a sensory experience where they're going to feel the sand. They're going to feel the sun on their cheeks and, you know, feel the cold water when they touch it with their toes and, and it just guide them. I'm like, all right, I got this. And so his teacher was very supportive and I really appreciate her, you know, Maestra, because that really helped to kick this off and, you know, launch the podcast. And I mean, I didn't launch it until after um, a, a year and a half later because of imposter syndrome, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> right. But, um, but I, I, I kept doing the meditations and I did have a parent tell me that, her daughter suffers from test anxiety. And after doing the meditations for several weeks, she feels so much better. And I'm like, wow, like this is so much bigger than what I thought. I mean, first I didn't realize kids were going through test anxiety. I mean, yeah, at third grade. Right. But it's real and probably even younger. Right. And um, how do you get that tactile 
experience when you're in the classroom? Were you able to take them outside of the classroom, like on the grass? Or how do you get that tactile experience for a meditation? Or is, or is it literally just in the classroom, them sitting on the on the floor? Yeah, no, it's just in their chair, in their at their desk. They don't even have to, well, it was a tiny little closet type of space, right? Okay. So everybody had to be in their chair. And so it's okay, everybody close your eyes. And if they wanted to, and at first they're all giggling and fidgeting and whatever, looking around and looking at me like, well, you're crazy, right? Like this doesn't work, right? But then by December, like 90% were fully participating. And I'm like, wow, this is super cool. So then I continue. So then last year, I started doing all my kids' classrooms because I was only doing his classroom. And then then I finally started doing all um, my three kids' classrooms. And it was just, just so beautiful to see the different ages and the teachers supporting me. And finally last year, you know, or uh, so yeah, December 26, 2019, that's when I finally launched it. And I started recording and I even told the kids that in the classroom and I said, you know, I would really love, you know, for for you guys to continue. But another thing that really, you know, put lit this fire is because I had a friend ask me, you know, what is this meditation thing you're doing? Do you no longer believe in God? And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What? I'm like, no, this is just a, a, a technique. It's just a tool, you know, to help the kids. And of course, I figured if she's asking this question, what if parents are asking the same question? And I didn't want them to say, sorry, I'm, I don't allow my kid to participate in the meditation when it has nothing to do with religion. All it is, is you're using your imagination to help you calm your, calm you down and work through emotions, you know, yeah, et cetera. And so I figured I need to record this because I want to make sure that everybody has access to it and I want to make it available. So if, if the, if the parents can hear it, they'll definitely be more supportive. And plus anybody with access to internet can access it. So, you know, through a podcast platform, it's free. And so now it's available through everywhere, through Spotify, iTunes, iHeart. I mean, everywhere. How often do you record a new episode? So right now I've been doing one a month and um, I I always write them out. I'm very intentional. I go, you know, I, whatever I feel, whatever I'm called. And then I record the one that I feel. And sometimes it's like, I don't even record something that I write. It's like, oh, okay, I got it. This is it. This is what I'm going to say. And it's just like this feeling that I get, you know, this yeah. calling, like, this is the one. And, and you have different, like when you go into it, you can actually see like the different intentions over the different themes of the meditations when you look at it. Mm-hmm. something I appreciate because sometimes we might want to, we might want to focus on something else. I think you have one on, um, I did the one for December this morning and then um, I forget all of the different themes, but I was looking to see like, Oh, what do I feel like this morning? Literally. I was like, what do I feel like this morning? And it's so nice that five minutes can really, for me, it's not even just about the meditation. It's focusing on creating my day, right? Like creating my affirmations, doing meditation, because like last night I could not sleep. I didn't get to sleep till like three, four in the morning. And I should have met, I wish when I do sleep meditations, which are also different, mm-hmm. I find I can go to sleep a lot quicker. And I didn't even think of doing that. I'm such a dork. Like now that I'm th- saying no, this out loud, but you didn't but- know. So now, you know, Yeah. Well, I've done it before. I just didn't even think about it last night. I was just so, my mind was racing for all these other things, but it allows you to just center on something to focus because 
oftentimes so many of us, our minds are racing and that's why meditation helps because it allows you to center on the voice. It allows you to center on what, you know, we're telling our, what you're helping us or whoever is leading the meditation, we're telling ourselves. And then it seems like everything else just starts to fade away because that's what you're concentrated on. And it allows you to do that. You've also from that, you've also expanded what you're doing as a level two Reiki certified practitioner. So I actually experienced Reiki for the first time when I was like 18 years old. So girl, I've known about Reiki. Now I see all the Reikiness and I was like, I've known this for over 20 years, whatever. No, just kidding. Um, But tell me how that transition, like, because I love the fact, I think so many of us are really trying to go back to more natural ways, things that have come from our ancestors and different things. And like you said, when Western medicine is needed, you absolutely do that. But if there's ways that you can, you know, enhance your life with, with natural ways and stuff, explain what Reiki is and what, how you are a practitioner of it. So Reiki means it's a universal life force. So it's energy. We are energy. We're all made of energy and Reiki can travel to through time and space. So it can be distance, it can be in person, it could be hands-on, it could be like hands-off, right? And I mean, it's 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 got so many, actually there's like zero side effects. The only side effects, it's like, it helps with everything. Even if you're on medication, even if you're recovering or your physical therapy, it really helps with speeding up your healing. It helps to, you know, remove any blockages. So sometimes like you feel like I'm a little la pierna or like, you know, my knee hurts or, you know, my leg. And you're like, what on earth? Like what happened? Right. But our body stores emotions in our bodies and your body's trying to like get it out and it's trying to get your attention. And so that's how you feel these things sometimes. Right. And so by applying the energy, the energy goes where it needs to go. I could put my hands, you know, on your shoulders, you know, on your head, and it's going to go where it needs to go. Even if I don't know, or even if you can't explain exactly like what the issue is, it'll go where it needs to go. So I thought it was like pretty amazing. And I've, I've been wanting to learn Reiki for a long time and I hadn't found my teacher, I guess I want to say now, because there was always something happening like, oh, there's this class or maybe this class or or I didn't have enough money at the time or whatever. And then finally, like through we all grow, like, oh my gosh, I've been finding so many amazing things, right? I found my teacher and she gets me, she understands my roots. She understands that this is ancestral healing. And it totally, like I totally connected with that because my great-grandmother was a healer. She was healed. She went through some major traumatic experiences and then she learned to heal others. And I've always loved that about her. And I've always felt like it was a part of me and I didn't realize that it was something that I could do until, you know, really recently, you know, the last few years where it's like, wow, I can totally tap into this. Right. And so now I'm able to offer it to others and I don't need to be on a zoom call. I don't need to text you. I don't need to be on FaceTime, nothing. It's like, you tell me what day and I will focus my intention and my energy on you. You tell me what you want to work on. Is there's, you know, something that's bothering you or, you know, you have a big phone call coming up or a big project, or you have some pain or some aches or whatever, right? You tell me what it is and I will send you the, ener- the, the energy. 
And that's all it is. It's just easy while you're sleeping. So I do all my Reiki healing at night when everybody's asleep. So that way I don't have my distractions from my children. You know, I focus on them. And then once they're asleep, then I can focus on, on sending energy. So it's in the evenings. So it works for everybody because you're asleep. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> yes. If people want to get more information on what you do and if they're questioning, like, how does that sounds weird? How does that work? How can they reach you to ask those questions? What are your social handles? So it's on Decide Balance. Everything is on Decide Balance. Decide Balance on Instagram, on Facebook. That's also my website, decidebalance.com. And I have a tab on there that um, about Reiki and explains what it is, how it's sent, frequently asked questions, how to book a session. You know, I'll have um, monthly Reiki healing sessions as well. So that way it's more affordable for everybody. So I will send healing energy to everybody as a group, or you can book a session where it's, I'm only focused on you as well. And I asked you what one word, describe your life in one word. And the word that you said was awakened. Why awakened? I feel like it was awakened because... So once I really like open my eyes to all the possibilities, it's like, wow, there's so much peace in the world is a possibility. Um, and that's like huge for me right now. I'm in a, the Chopra center meditation teaching certification program. And one of the, one of the quotes I'd heard a long time ago by the Dalai Lama was that, and I'm paraphrasing because it was something about if you teach meditation, to every eight-year-old in the world, we would eliminate violence entirely. There would be peace. I honestly have no doubt about that. And I'm like, wow, really? That's so cool. And then when I heard Deepak Chopra mentioning that quote in a lot of his speeches, it's like, wow, this is so cool. Like, like, okay, I get you. And so I, and because of We All Grow Latina too, I found about his, his program. And so now I'm enrolled in the program. And so I'll be graduating February 16, 2021. I'm so excited. I'll be a certified Chopra Center meditation teacher. Like, That's so wow. awesome. It's super cool. And if you don't know who Deepak Chopra is, Google. You yes. will be in awe of all his books, his teachings, like everything. It's just so beautiful. You know, he just teaches about finding peace within yourself. And then that peace overflows into your family, your neighborhood, your community, community your nation, the world. And Don't so you think that's so much of what we're just missing in our life is just peace within ourselves because then yes. we project our hurt and our traumas onto others. Yes. And and that's the thing. Hurt people hurt other people. Oh, and that's how I feel, you know, all these people who are so hateful, no names mentioned, but everybody knows, you know, so many hateful people, but that's the thing. You yeah. you are not born with hate. You learn hate. Exactly. And do your so, kids still meditate? They do. do so they do on they, their own or do you guide them? I guide them. Yeah. And they love it. And so we go through our prayers, we do breathing exercises, and then we meditate together. And they ask for it. And actually it was super helpful during this whole pandemic when it everything started. I mean, it really affected them that I mean it was like tears and everything. Right. And so once we started doing that, it made such a big difference in, in everybody's lives, in our whole family and the dynamics and just everything. If parents wanted to start and they don't know where to start in regards to helping their kids meditate, where is a good place to start for parents to help their kids? Cause I'm sure they want the, you know, 
they probably are in a place where they feel they need it, but it, they probably are in a place where sometimes parents just don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. And if they're like, well, I want to meditate, but I don't even know how to meditate. How can I get my kids to meditate? What's a good place to start? My podcast. It's the easiest way. And that's the whole intention behind it as well, because in it for five minutes being five minutes, because I wanted to make sure that nobody had an excuse that they can't meditate, that they don't have yeah. time to meditate because it's so important. So if we teach our children to meditate five minutes a day, start them young, then they yeah. won't have to go through all this stress as adults. And then being like, how come I didn't learn? How come I didn't know about this one? I wish I knew. Right. Yeah. And so definitely my podcast, um, I think it's either the very first one. There's one that's called inflate your balloon. And it's super easy. That's the easiest way to start. And it's a breathing technique where you put one hand on your tummy and you feel your tummy rise. And so you're breathing properly. And so I'm guiding you through the whole experience. And, and they're all five minutes. So they're all easy to, to listen to and easy to find. So yes, yes it, it really is. If you literally hit decide, you're the first person that came up when I hit decide. Nice. It's like Then it's like decide meditation. It didn't even full, fully fill it out or it just knew which one. Yeah. Even on Google type in decide balance and I pop up right away too. What is something that you have learned about yourself during this pandemic? Wow. I have like this untapped creative side of me and this fire that I forgot I had. It, it's been so interesting to learn or to relearn or what I used to be like. I mean, like when I was telling you, I was like president of this organization. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to be president. Why are we even having elections? I am your president. <laughs> like this is a waste of time, right? Like that was me. That's what I was like, right? And then a few years ago, imposter syndrome. Like, can I do this? Who's even going to listen to me? Like, da, 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 right? It's like big difference, right? So yeah. like tapping into that old me to this 20 year old me, where was she, right? So it's been so beautiful to like, wow, it is in me. I do have it. Like, why? Am, what am I like stressing over? Like, how am I going to do this? Because I know I can, I've done it before. I have that in me. I have this creativity, right? But I just had to like take a pause and listen to my intuition. I think that's such a great lesson because I feel like I was the same way. I think when we're young, we think we know everything. We're like, of course I can do it. I can conquer the world. And then the world sometimes says no. And we start listening to the no's rather than that 20 year old, like you said, that's still in us. Like, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Because if everybody always listened to that no, there would be so many things that wouldn't have never been accomplished in this world. So we need to stop. Do not let the world tell you no. We need to be able to tell ourselves yes. I think that's a wonderful way to end. So, but the last question is, we always start and end with the wine, which I know you know that, but what is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rosé? And do you have a favorite brand? I definitely always... We go to like Syrah. I really like the Syrah and the Pinot Noir and the Rosé too. I do like the the sweet wine as well. I used to drink a lot of sweet wine. I always like jumble on the name is the Gewurztraminer. I don't know, whatever it is, but it's so good. It's sweet, right? So you probably wouldn't like it, but <laughs> but it's so good. I really like that one because I could just drink it anytime chilled ponche <laughs> i make ponche for sure during navidad noche buena for sure um actually anytime but um so yeah so 
Syrah, Pinot Noir, and Rosé are good. I Like if it's a Rosé, I definitely like them sweeter. So, I mean, actually, this was really good. This uh, from Cezoles, the Rosé, it's really good. It's it's sweet enough, I mean, that it's not too, like, not sweet. Because there's some Rosés that are, like, not sweet at all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really like those. I'm like, if it's going to be Rosé, it's got to have some sweetness to it. So, yeah, good job on this one. So, well, Yvonne, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we, I mean, we talk pretty often, but I'm glad that we got to finally, (laughs) like, I got to hear more about you, things that I never knew. So you are so lovely. You have such a lovely spirit. And I'm so glad that we have become friends during this pandemic, because I think that you're just a really awesome person. So thank you. I appreciate and I adore you. I mean, I really do appreciate your support and yeah, like this has been so beautiful to like get to know you as well. It's like so many things that we share and we can help each other out and uplift each other because that's what it's all about, right? We got to lift up Absolutely. one another. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos!